welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. are in a three-part series on justice that uh, really was going to just be a, a single message uh, by Gary Haugen with iJam. And uh, if you're not familiar, next week you want to be here. Uh, he's the one that really started this whole uh, really series on justice. It was that and then kind of a download that God gave me in church the other day. And uh, I'll share that at the close of the message. But it was just one of those things where you said, we've got to talk about this issue. Gary is, is sought after, and we said, we want him to speak to our church. And then it just grew into the three-part series. And uh, Pastor Darren last week did a great job kicking it off. And although he uh, touched lightly on all the human rights and the things that we should be worried about with justice, he really focused in on the thing that really matters no matter what, and we call it the, the human right the human right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that everyone deserves that opportunity and that there are over 3 billion people that have never heard. And, and we, are, we are called to bring that message to the world. And it's really the greatest injustice, the greatest injustice that people will never hear about the name of Jesus. And so we are committed to living and bringing that justice to them and saying we want them to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And as we look at justice today, I just want to make sure that we have it in the right perspective. And, and we have to be active with justice. We have to be active with biblical justice. You'll see that it's the heart of God today. But I want you to understand clearly that justice is not the gospel. Justice is not the gospel. Just like when we go out and advocate for the poor, the hurting, the vulnerable, we are supposed to do that, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news is that they can be forgiven, that their sins can be forgiven. And regardless of what place they're in, um, you can be in chains and be free in Jesus. You can be poor and be rich in Jesus. You can be sick and, and disabled and vulnerable and yet be whole in Jesus. And so we've got to get that message out. And so as much as we talk about this, as much as we'll focus on this, and as much as society loves to talk about this right now, we want to be active in, the, in justice and in biblical justice and being out there in society and righting wrongs. And we'll talk about that. But we've got to be all about bringing the gospel to people. We've got to be about bringing this good news to the people. And we've got to say that we want to give them help for now, but we want to give them eternal life help and say that, like the Bible says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Like we could, we could get all caught up in liberation theology where we've got to make sure that, 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 that the oppressed get out from that. And although that is good, you can be oppressed and still know Jesus. Okay, and so we're going we're gonna to be about justice, but we're going to be about bringing the good news to people. Now, justice is an obvious part of the life of a Christian, though. 
Although it is, it is not the good news, it is part of what we are about because we've received the good news and justice is, a, is a really a part of the Christian life. And you look at it, why would we be so, why would the church always be the place that people are looking for to stand up for justice, to stand up against injustice? I mean, why are we giving money to support Gary Haugen and International Justice Mission? Why are, we, why are we giving money to do that? Why are we fighting to set people free from human trafficking? I mean, why do we work with orphans around the world, with Children's Cup, and, and work with thousands of orphans in Swaziland? And, and why do we work with Change 30 in Russia, another wonderful orphanage that we work with where there's hundreds, and we built a, a training center for them? And why are we involved in these things? Why do we have a, a Kingdom Builders foster care initiative? And, and why are we about rural compassion? You may not realize this, but uh, this weekend at our Faribault campus, we were just trying to, again, help people that were poor and, and vulnerable and hurting. And so we had a giant semi-trailer there with Convoy of Hope filled with all sorts of uh, products and resources and, and perishable and non-perishable items and getting it out to people and saying, hey, we care. We care for those people that are in rural America as well as the inner city. And so why would we do all this? Why would we be about this? And I want to just dive into this today and take a look at biblical justice, Jesus' justice, and what the church is called to do. And uh, I will tell you this, that if you want more resources than what even our three-part series will be, um, Tim Keller wrote a book, uh, Generous Justice, that I would recommend. And then also Gary Hogan, anything that he's going to recommend next week in church, I'm just going to say, go with it. That man is an expert, uh, speaks uh, to presidents and kings and rulers. And uh, just there's so much more that's out there. Now, what is biblical justice? What is Jesus justice? There's a Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, and it occurs over 200 times in the various forms in the Bible. And the basic meaning of justice when it appears in this form in the Bible is to treat people in a a fair and impartial manner. That we're supposed to treat people in a fair and impartial manner. That as, as followers of God, we're supposed to be fair with people. We're supposed to be impartial. We're supposed to do the right thing no matter where somebody is. And you look in society. Society doesn't always do that. Society takes advantage of the poor and the vulnerable. Society will use people and throw people away. Society will discard people and say they're not valued. But the Bible is telling us with this word justice, it's telling us to, to do the right thing, to treat everybody fair, to treat them uh, with impartiality and not taking favorites. Micah 6.8, which was referenced last week, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's very clear in the Bible that when we look at justice, we're to treat people the same, People are supposed to be punished the same. It should, it should bother us when some people receive special treatment for punishment and others have the book thrown at them. That should bother us. We're supposed to be about people that want to treat them the same, punish the same, give people their rights, and to say, God, whether it's punishment, protection, care, God, we are about being just. We are about being right. Now, many times in the Bible when we see justice, um, we see justice, we see uh, scriptures that are there, and we'll look at many, many scriptures today. There's a list that comes out. There's a list that comes out. You'll see that God's talking about widows, orphans, immigrants, 
poor. He's talking about that. And I'll say, you know, the poor, the vulnerable, the forgotten, the overlooked. You know, I'm kind of going in with the, what people would call the, the quartet of the vulnerable. It's the vulnerable quartet, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. And God's saying, hey, these are people that I have my eye on. These are people that I'm watching, that I want you to take care of, that, that, that my heart goes out for these people, and I don't want them to be taken advantage of. We have to live righteous lives that we say, you know what, we want to we do the right thing, and we want to take care of this quartet of the vulnerable. And with God's um, justice that we see in the Bible, he's saying, hey, I want you to live a primary life of justice. I want you to do right to everyone. I want you to do right to everyone. That's how I want you to live. I want you to be fair and honorable and right and take care of people. And I want you to live in a way that honors me. And then he also says, you know what I want you to do? I want another, another part of justice. I want you to punish evildoers. I want you to prosecute people that are doing the wrong things. We're going to hear that next week with Gary. I want you to prosecute and go after those people that are breaking the law and are oppressing people. And it's right for us to stand up when something is wrong and to apply legal pressure to those in authority to say, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. God wants us to live right, and he also wants us to stand up for people that are being taken advantage of. He wants us to stand up and say, this is wrong. And, and in legal means, we're going to pressure you. We're going to pressure you, and, and we're going to say, this is wrong, and we want these things to change. This is part of why we live out what God wants us to do. Now, in the Bible, you'll see this, that God's heart is justice. He's described as someone of justice, that he's a God of justice. And he gives direction to his people on how to live and live in this world of justice. And, and um, in Deuteronomy, let me just read a couple scriptures that will just show you about justice and about doing the right thing. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 19, this is what God's saying. He says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Matter of fact, if you think about it, really the quartet of the vulnerable is mentioned right there. And he says, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. He's saying, I, I, that's, I want you to do that. This is the way I want you to live. I want you to take care of these people and watch out for these people. Psalm 68 describes God in this way, it says, sing to God, sing praise uh, of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. This is what it's saying. It's saying, this is who God is. God is somebody who's taking care of the orphan. He's taking care of the widow. And all throughout the Bible, it's like God is showing us his heart for the quartet of the vulnerable. And he's saying, I want you to live this way. I want you to live in such a way that the wrongs in society are going to bother you. The wrongs in society are going to bother you because you know that doesn't align with the way I want you to live and that you're going to live in a way that says we're going to try to make things right in society. We're going to do the right thing and you're going to know who we belong to by the way we behave. You're going to know that. Now, he gave direction to uh, people that own businesses or own fields and he said, man, when you, when you go and you receive your harvest at the end of the year, I want you to remember the people that are suffering. I want you to remember the people that don't have a lot. And he gave directions. In Leviticus 23, 22, he says, 
When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? God's saying like, I'm about them and I'm going to give you some practical ways to do this. Hey, when you spill a little bit, leave it. It's okay. Leave it for them. Just, it's for them. Don't, don't think about squeezing every ounce of profit out of it. I want you to leave a little bit around the edge. I want you to leave a little bit on the ground. I want them to come on in and, and be able to gather that. That's the way I want you to think of it, that you're going to always have a place in your heart to leave a little bit for the people that are vulnerable in society. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 and 8, he says this, Is anyone poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you? Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. He's like, keep your heart soft. Don't get hard-hearted. Don't get hard-hearted. I don't... It's so interesting how we can become so hard-hearted towards the people that are vulnerable towards the people that are on the outside edge of society. And we can actually be like, I don't even care. They don't even bother me. Out of sight, out of mind. And he's like, don't do that. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't be tight-fisted. Come on, be benevolent. Be kind. Be generous. Do these things. When God was speaking to his uh, people in Jeremiah 21.12, he says, this is what the Lord says to the dynasty of David. Give justice each morning to the people you judge. Help those who've been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Otherwise, my anger will burn like an unquenchable fire because of all your sins. I mean, God's like, do you understand? I want you to do the right thing. I want you to be, give right justice. I don't want you to do the wrong thing. I want you to be able to stand up and, and make sure that even those people that don't have the best lawyer or the best uh, place in society get fair treatment. We should get fair treatment. Something within us should say, we want to see this happen. I know this is not Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament. It's, but it's describing, again, the heart of God the Father. And in James 1, 27, it says, The Christian who is pure and without fault from God the Father's point of view is the one who takes care of orphans and widows and who remains true to the Lord, not soiled and dirtied by his contacts with the world. And it's saying, hey, this is the kind of religion that God wants. He wants us to take care of vulnerable people. The church should be about taking care of vulnerable people. And that's why it just resonates with us. And it resonates with society when, when the church is out doing these things. And, and sometimes when I'm faced with a critic, you know, somebody say, oh, I don't know if the church is any good. And, da -da 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 -da, and they'll, I don't, you know what I'll immediately do? I'll start talking about what we're doing for the poor, the hurting, the forgotten, the people that are marginalized by society. And the people that are mad, they'll be like, well, I guess that's pretty good, you know. And they, they don't even know what to say because there's something within them that says, that's right. That's right. That's right. I think that's what you're called to do. And if that's how God the Father is, that's how we want to be. And there's, there's so much in the Bible. In Proverbs, it's just loaded. It's saying, I mean, there's so many. I, I, I'll just read one. It says, when you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he pays wonderful interest on your loan. How many want a good interest rate right now? All right, give to kingdom builders, give to the poor, give to benevolence, give to the hurting, give to the suffering. Do that, take care of that. Go and help the orphans. And God say, hey, when you do that, when you do that, you're really giving it to me. And guess what? I'm not forgetting. I've got a great interest rate. 
So we see God the Father. His, he's, he's seen as a God of justice. He takes care of the poor, the hurting, and the forgotten. And I, I feel like this is such an important message for our church because let's face it, we live in a, a, a great place. We've got things really comfortable. It'd be really easy for us to always think about us. And I thank God that he's waking us up and saying, let's not forget about the poor, the hurting, the suffering. I thank God for our emphasis on kingdom builders. And we're saying we're going we're gonna to give for outside this church. We're going to do these things. We, I thank God for our missionary support where people are going and we're, we're sending people. I thank God for that. Because it'd be so easy to be inward focused and to just focus on us. And I thank God that we, we see in his word this, these things of saying, man, take care of these people. And we've jumped on board to take care of these people. But as we look forward in the Bible, we, we see Jesus, the life of Jesus. And if, if God the Father is about justice and he's about the poor and he's about the hurting, he's about the quartet of the vulnerable, we would look at Jesus and say, Jesus like that? Yes. Jesus was all about the, the quartet of the vulnerable. And he was, he was taking care of widows and he was taking care of orphans and he was taking care of the poor. And, and when John the Baptist is wondering like, is that really you? Are you really the one? He's like, tell, tell John, hey, the poor are getting the message. The blind are receiving sight. Like, I'm taking care of the vulnerable. Like, you know God the Father. You know what he's about. Hey, I'm taking care of it too. I'm doing the same thing. I thank God for that. And I thank God when, when Jesus launched his public ministry, he's like, I'm taking care of the poor, the hurting, the vulnerable. I thank God that we see all throughout the Bible, Jesus touching the untouchables. I love that. I love that Jesus is touching the untouchables. I love that Jesus is getting into the mix and he's saying, I've taken care of them. I love the story in Luke chapter 7 where we just get a glimpse again, like father, like son. Jesus is doing the very same thing. And we, I, I won't read the text, but in Luke chapter 7, there's the widow in the town of Nain. And she's there in this town and, and, and her son has died and the funeral procession is going by Jesus and as the funeral procession is going by Jesus that we see in Luke chapter 7, it would have been really easy for Jesus to be a religious leader and to say, stay away from me, that will make me unclean. Stay away from me, I can't be around a dead body. I can't be around this situation. But instead, the Bible tells us in Luke 7 that his heart was moved and he saw what was going on in this situation and walks right up to the dead boy. Right up to the, he's got a, he's on a cart and they're bringing him ready to be buried. And Jesus walks right up to him and brings this little boy back to life. And I think it's amazing in that one story, Jesus helps a widow and an orphan and the poor right there. And he's like, hey, that's my heart. Do you understand what I'm about? I'm about helping people. I'm about righting wrongs and about restoring things. And I love that about Jesus. I love that he touched the blind. I love that he touched the lame. I love that he touched the lepers. I love that that's what Jesus was about. He's like, you know what? I'm preaching. I'm bringing the good news, but I am touching the vulnerable, the hurting, the poor, the left out. And for us in the church now, I believe we show the love of God by the way we treat these people in all sorts of situations. I believe we show the love of God by the way we treat the, the quartet of the vulnerable. Proverbs 29, 7 says this, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. We, we should care 
about the poor. We should care about the hurting. We should care about the people that are on the edge of society. And I believe this, in history and right now, the church can stand out because we care for the poor, because we care for the hurting. I mean, Christians get a bad rap in society right now, but I love this article that I found. It was an article by Nicholas Kristof. It was written for the New York Times, so you know it wasn't written from a Christian perspective there. And he said, he said this, he said this about what he's seen with taking care of the poor and the hurting and the vulnerable. He said, I've watched evangelical Christians. I've watched Catholics. I've watched Christians in general. And he said, I'm blown away by what I see. This is what he said. I've been truly awed by those I've seen in so many remote places combating illiteracy and warlords, famine and disease, humbly struggling to do the Lord's work as they see it. And it is offensive to see these good people derided. He said, there's something, these people, like, let's give them a break. I've seen them. They're out there and they're making a difference and they're doing good things. He said, I must say that a disproportionate share of the aid workers I've met in the wildest places over the years, long after anyone sensible had evacuated, have been evangelicals, nuns, or priests. He said, these are the folks who don't so much proclaim the gospel as live it. And they deserve better. And I thought, how cool that an advocate in the New York Times saying, hey, I've been out there. I've watched what's going on. This stands out. There's something different. When everybody else is running away from these people, when everyone else is taking advantage of these people, these people, these Christians are there and they're taking care of it. And I believe God's saying that we have an opportunity to shine right now in a world that's wondering, does it really make a difference? Are we really living what we say we live? And we could do like Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light, light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I thank God for that, that we're doing things out there that are glorifying our Father in heaven. See, when Christianity started um, in ancient times, in Rome and in the Greek culture, you got to understand, we stood out. We stood out way outside of anything else that was going on in society. I've been saddened. I was uh, reading a book recently. It was called Unimaginable. And it was talking about if the church was never around, it'd be unimaginable, like how bad things would be without the gospel of Jesus Christ. How bad would it be? And it talked about the poor, that, that people just had no regard for the poor, that it, they were just like, I'm glad I'm not poor. That's what they thought about the poor. And then Christianity comes along and is saying, come on, we're going to take care of the poor. The vulnerable, the sick and the disabled, they were, they were abandoned. Children that were there, little children with special needs. Aristotle said this. He said that it was your duty. It was your responsibility to actually expose a child that was born with disabilities and not take them into your family. It was your responsibility to rid society of somebody that was broken or vulnerable. Aristotle said that. Society was racist, it was oppressive, it was cruel, and then along comes Christianity, the followers of Jesus Christ, and it says, we're going to stand up for these victims. We're going to stand up for these people. We're going we're to go ahead and make a difference for them. And the church and the followers of Jesus Christ said, hey, we're the ones that are going to care for them. When you're running away, we're running into the mess. When you're throwing them away, we're picking them up. When you're, when you're saying they're discards, we're saying they matter to God. And the thing that just hit me in this was just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I was in service and we were having a, a beautiful time of worship. 
a beautiful time of worship, and Avalie Parkman was there with her mom and dad, with Terry and Christina, and I think we've got a picture of little Avalie. She is a worshiper. She is a worshiper like nobody. As soon as the music starts, she's just worshiping. I was just having a great time watching her worship. Now, she was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And because of where she was born in China with a one-child policy and because of the economic constraints upon her birth family, she was placed somewhere and, and just left so that she could be found. And I want to let you know that her family, that was for them a very loving act because they could have ended her life, but they actually left her in a place where she would be brought into an orphanage. And when she was brought into that orphanage, there she was and waiting for adoption. And the Parkman said, we want Avalie. We want Avalie. There's something in her heart that says, we want her. That's part of what we're called to do. And can I say to anybody that adopts like that or opens your home with foster parenting, thank God that your heart is large and that you say, this is part of who we are. This is who I'm called to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so she was just worshiping and, you know, she's part of their family and she's had four surgeries on her uh, cleft palate and on her lip and everything. She has a few more to go. And I was just taken up and I was just watching her and I was like having kind of an overwhelming God moment watching the Parkmans with Avalie on the front row. And then the Holy Spirit just breaks me down in that moment. And he said, um, you know, had you been born in China in a different situation, you would have been left too. And I was like, what do you mean? And in that moment, I was just reminded, I mean, it's so normal for me, but I was reminded, like, I was born with a caved-in chest. You may not know that. I don't, you know, you don't see it. But I was born with a caved-in chest. You know, and I can't imagine. I, I thought, what were my parents thinking? We're like, oh, like, what happened? You know, and thank God the doctors and the place I was born and the people I was born to, they, they stepped in. Oh, we love him. But... Had I been born in a different time or a different place, the Holy Spirit was saying, had you been born in China and your parents saw a boy with a caved-in chest, they would have panicked and they would have put you up. And in that moment, I'm just like, wow. And I'm just feeling like I would have been a discard. I would have been a discard. But thank God for the place and the people. Thank God for Jesus and, and changing people's lives. And, and, and instead of being a discard, I'm here as your pastor. And in that moment, I'm just like, I love Avalie even more. And then, and then I'm like, I love every discard. And I just prayed God enlarge my heart and enlarge our church's heart for the people that are oppressed, for the people that are forgotten, for the people that are discards, for the people that are, are marginalized by society. I just want to say that this church welcomes discards. This church welcomes the poor, the forgotten, the hurting. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't think they could love me because of what I have. Maybe you have a, a physical deformity. Hey, welcome. Welcome. Maybe you say my life has been a train wreck of a mess. Welcome. We say welcome to the vulnerable, welcome to the broken, welcome to the discards, welcome to the orphan, welcome to the poor, welcome to the outcast. You are being pastored by a discard, and this church says welcome, welcome, welcome. I'd say to the Minneapolis campus, there's a whole slew of guys from the Salvation Army that are there. They're out there on the parking crew, and they're being a part of the church. Man, it's an honor to be your pastor. 
It's an honor to have you in the church and to have you as part of this. Hey, you're being pastored by a discard, okay? And I just say, welcome, welcome to all that would say, I don't know if there's a place for me. There's a place for you in this church. There's a place for you in this church. So as we think about what God wants us to do, I pray that our, our hearts would enlarge it. Our, our, they'd enlarge. They'd just say, God, what do you want us to do? How can we help the poor, the hurting, the forgotten? How can we help the orphan? How can we help this person? How can we do more to minister to the people on the edge of society, wherever they are, and say, God, help us to minister to those people? I pray that our heart would be moved for the poor, the hurting, the discards, the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan. And when our heart is moved, I pray that our hands and our resources would spring into action and we say, we desire to be like our Heavenly Father. We desire to be like our Lord and Savior. We desire to be the church that makes a difference for the people on the edges of society. There's room for them. Welcome home. We invite you in. So God, I just pray right now that you'd help us to be that type of church. I'm just so deeply moved by that because we live in a place that's so nice and so uh, comfortable. But God, I pray that we'd look on the edges of society and say, welcome home. I pray that our church would drop the judgment, but be open with people. I pray, God, that we'd be about giving to the poor and, and resourcing and doing all that we can and taking care of the people, again, that are vulnerable, that are on the edge of society and say, welcome home. I thank you, God. There's a place for the broken and the hurting and the discards. And God, that's your heart. So God, thank you for welcoming me in. Thank you for welcoming these people in. And God, may we be that church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.